last several years. And there's one particular tradition that I really enjoy, and I'm sure that probably at some point in your life you've done this or been on the receiving end of this, and that's a Christmas letter. Um, Betty Price was sharing with me this morning that J.R. Tolkien, uh, beginning in 1920 and continuing for some 20-plus years, used to write a Christmas letter to each one of his four children as he would just describe in great detail uh, the events of Christmas and the activities of a fantasy land that he created for them. And it was just a real special experience for him. This Christmas already uh, we have received from friends, from staff, and, and from people around the country Christmas letters. And so we, we thought this morning that maybe one good way to bring our thoughts to a close and our chapel to a close uh, today would be to read a Christmas letter and uh, sort of as a beginning tradition, along with maybe our parade of freaks, and we'll see which of the two survives. Um, and that's what I'd like to do, is to read, just read a letter to you that is sort of my Christmas letter uh, as the head of student life to all of us uh, in chapel this morning. John the Baptist, upon first meeting Jesus Christ, exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God. He did not say, Behold the prophet like unto Moses, whom you shall hear, nor did he say, Behold the Israelite, in whom there is no guile. He did not say, Behold the Lion of Judah, who shall scatter your foes. And lastly, he did not say, Behold the King of Israel, who shall establish his dominion. He may have said one or all of those things. They are certainly all true of Jesus Christ. He, indeed, is our teacher. He is our example. He is our defender. And he is our king. But there is something more fundamental to the birth of Christ than all of these, something which underlies them all and from which they acquire their value. And it is this that John the Baptist saw in Christ and sends us to Christ to find. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, but he continued with these words, Who takes away the sin of the world. John's heart was moved with praise because he saw the one through whom forgiveness would come to mankind. And in Isaiah, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and his suffering, he said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquity. Isaiah prophesied about the birth of a sin-bearer on a special day that he looked forward to. What is the true meaning of Christmas? I believe from what I have just read that Scripture would have us to find it in the forgiveness of God so graciously bestowed and provided through the substitutionary atoning death of this little lamb, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness implies that there's a problem between us and God. And of course, we know that as our sinfulness. And it is because of our sinfulness that God demands that we stand before him as a holy and just God. But that judgment to those of us that know Jesus Christ, has been nullified and has been set aside. Because of the birth of Christ, we have been forgiven. Is it any wonder then that the world misses the true meaning of Christmas? Did not Paul promise us that the world in all of its wisdom could not comprehend Christ? And to those not of God's kingdom, Paul describes Christ as something that is foolishness to them, as he wrote to the Corinthian believers. And into the void created by the absence of an understanding of the true meaning of Christmas, 
The lost world pours lights and gifts and celebrations and traditions, none of which, of course, are innately wrong or wicked. Rather, they're just simply not primary when it comes to the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. To the world, which must, must contend with the persistent terror of judgment that they face and that they are reminded of, as we are told in Romans chapter 1, the pageantry of Christmas is a welcome distraction to a lost society. However, we know that it is a cheap and empty substitute for what is real and truly meaningful about the birth of Christ. I'm sure that you have had the opportunity to go shopping already in, in the valley. And, and if you have, you have come across crowds of people who are in their hearts obsessed with a spirit of idolatry that leads them to replace that which is eternal and significant about this time of the year with that which is temporal and insignificant. The baby in the manger is despised by the world and rejected as the only hope for their reconciliation and peace between them and God. But the story of Christmas doesn't just end here with the message of forgiveness that we have so freely received. Not only do we receive reconciliation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but we have also been given the ministry of reconciliation. Earlier in that same chapter, Paul says that knowing the fear of the Lord, speaking to us as Christians, we persuade men. And again, he said later in that same chapter that the love of God constrains us. Forgiveness in Christ is the cause of our celebration at Christmas time. But it also should be the subject of the message that we must proclaim by our lives and by our words. For if we who have come to know Christ in a saving way do not proclaim him, no one will and no one can. This is Christmas season. And I ask you, what does that mean to you who know Christ, to you who know personally the infant whom many ignore and many more sing about but do not know at all? It is a sad reality that though Kenny G may have the best-selling Christmas CD of the season this year, as a Jew, he personally rejects any eternal significance to the birth of a child that his own music so beautifully celebrates. I believe that Christmas, the time where we set aside a special recognition and focus upon the birth of that little baby to Mary in Bethlehem, is a true cause of celebration for us as believers. Because that baby was destined for Golgotha's altar. In fact, Luke's record reads, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. As the angel said to the shepherds, Which shall be for all people, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who will bear our sins, who is Christ the Lord. History tells us that early in the 19th century, the whole world was watching with bated breath the campaigns of Napoleon. The year was 1809, and everyone was watching Austria because that was where blood was flowing freely. In one campaign after another, Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Of course, babies were being born in 1809, but no one really seemed to care or to pay attention. No one seemed to take note that that year a male child named William Gladstone was given birth. Gladstone was destined by God to become one of the finest statesmen that England ever produced. 
In that same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife, and Tennyson would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1809, and not too far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful but albeit tragic life. It was also in that same year, 1809, that a physician named Darwin and his wife gave birth to a little baby boy and the proud couple named him Charles. And it was in that same year that the cries of a baby boy could be heard from a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, as the mom and dad chose to call their precious gift from God, Abraham, who later became President of the United States. I'm sure if there were news broadcasts in 1809, I am certain, if there had been broadcasts, I am certain that these words would have been said. The destiny of the world is being shaped on the Austrian battlefield today. But was it really? History now makes it clear makes clear what was once obscure, and that was that the future of mankind in that year, 1809, was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America as young mothers held in their arms the shakers and the movers of the future modern world as we know it. The same could be said of the time when Jesus of Nazareth was born. No one in the entire Roman Empire could have cared less about the birth of that Jewish infant in the town called Bethlehem. Rome, after all, ruled the world. And it was in the halls of the Roman government where history was being made. But not really. Every Christmas season, it seems that the significant gets lost in the insignificant. And the significance of Christ's birth, we know as his children, is found in the forgiveness that that little baby's death provides. Students, it is my prayer that this strangely marvelous manner in which God chose to save the world will be a precious and transforming reality which will mark your life, not only during this season, but every single day of the year. Let's pray together. Father, we truly enjoy the, the pageantry in many ways that surrounds this season. We enjoy the meals and we enjoy the opportunity of doing something special for someone that we love, a friend or a family member, or someone who is, who is maybe down on their, on their time in their life and is having a tough time, and we can help them out and lift them up, offer them a cool drink of water for a parched throat. We enjoy the, the times that we spend together and uh, celebration and the traditions. And God, all of those things are things that we understand that come from you because everything that is good in life and that is truly enjoyable is a gift from your hand to us. But God, help us not to lose track of what is most important and what is primary about this season as we engage ourselves in the secondary. God, it is my prayer that we will all be reminded of the precious gift, the eternal significance of that gift of the baby in Bethlehem. 
And the Lord, that won't be just something that we understand, but it is something that we have personally experienced. And it is from that relationship that we build our lives and that we experience transformation and hope and, and renewal day by day. And it is the message of that birth and the forgiveness that comes through that birth that we carry to our homes as we leave the campus this season. God, we want to know what it means to be a Christian at this time of the year from your perspective and be faithful to that calling. In your son's name we pray.